Who's filled up? All right. Who's filled up? I'm filled up. That was good. We are going to put a bow on the book of Acts today, and it's been an amazing journey. Um, as I started thinking about, you know, what it is that God would have me to share with you, just to kind of provide what I believe is, which is the primary theme of the book of Acts, and that theme is the kingdom of God. And, and I'm going to show you that in just a second, how there's, there's two bookends on the book of Acts. And it begins with the kingdom, and, it, and I would say that it ends with the kingdom, but it doesn't really end with the kingdom because uh, the Great Commission, what? It continues, right? And that's why the book of Acts, as I've said before, is an open-ended book. It does not have a definite ending because I think the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to do that on purpose because he wanted all of us to recognize and understand that we are participating in the kingdom. We are participating in the Great Commission, and that's the great privilege of the believer. And so that's the title of the message this morning is, is Your Kingdom Come. And so, uh, you know, there's so many benefits and values to studying this book. I, I've been so blessed. I hope that you've been blessed. And it's kind of sad in a way that we're coming to an end, but I know it's time. And two years have passed, and it's just been amazing to get so much out of this rich book. There's the historical value of the book of Acts. We've got uh, the, the mission of the church is, is seen and how the church is to be. Uh, a missionary movement, an agency of missions to spread the gospel to the whole world. We, we saw how that came together, how that worked. I mean, they worked out all kind of uh, theological issues about, hey, how do, we, how do we deal with these Gentiles who are coming into the body? You know, are they supposed to become Jews first? Or, or you know, are they, are they saved by grace through faith just like we are? And we, we worked through some of those issues as the church. They're, again, they're learning on the fly. They're trying to figure out all this stuff with the help of the Holy Spirit as they go. And we had the benefit of looking Looking back on how the God provided and the Holy Spirit um, gave them wisdom and counsel to know how to deal with these, you know, unique first-time situations. You know, the church, the church is brand new. They don't, they don't, they've never dealt with this stuff before. And so it's amazing for us to be able to get this, the value, the theological value. You see the, how God's hand and his sovereignty is at work from beginning to end throughout the book of Acts and how they are, they are so dependent upon the power and presence of the Holy Spirit uh, as we are today. And then, and then you've got practical value of the book of Acts. I mean, we've, got it, we've gotten into so many different practical issues and topics and how to be the church and how to fight sin and spiritual warfare and just all this kind of stuff that we've studied throughout this book. But as I said to you just a second ago, I think the, the overall theme of this great book is the kingdom of God. So here's what I want you to do. Turn to, to the very first chapter of the book of Acts. I'm going to show you something. So if you go to Acts 1, I want you to see what Luke says. And again, I'm giving you these two bookends uh, so that when we get into the, the message itself, you'll, you'll see how this is the theme throughout the entire book of Acts. Luke 1, look at verse 3. So Luke says, He, speaking of Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. So, so Luke is saying, listen, Jesus resurrected from the dead. He, he spent some time with the disciples. Actually, we know it was 40 days. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus could have taught them about anything else for these 40 days. And listen, this is the most important time 
that Jesus had with his disciples because for the very first time they, they got it. Like they, well, you, you think that they've got it. It said even after his ascension, some even doubted. So you're, you're, like, you're sitting there wondering like, wow, how, how could some of them even still doubt at that time? But, but that's, that's neither here nor there. But, but we, what we understand, Jesus had a, a message to give his disciples. He had a limited amount of time to give it to them. And he said he spent these 40 days with his disciples teaching them, speaking to them about the kingdom. Okay? Now look at Acts 28. Flip all the way to the end. Acts 28, verse 30. Look at verse 29. Very last three verses in the book of Acts. Therefore, Paul is saying, Let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. We'll get into that here in just a minute. And so Paul lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the, what? The kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Amen. Book ends. Acts 1-3, Acts 28-31. There's no mistake. There's not a coincidence that Luke makes us understand and, and clarifies that the whole purpose of the book of Acts is to tell us about the, the kingdom of God, what is the kingdom of God, and more importantly, listen, how we participate in the kingdom of God. And that that's what's critical for us to understand today because, I mean, you could go into all of the different attributes and um, characteristics of a kingdom. And, and it's, I think it's beneficial for us to stop for just a second and think about those things. Like, a kingdom must have certain things for it to be a kingdom, right? A kingdom's got to have a king. A king usually has princes and counselors and a court. A king sits on his throne. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Now, Jesus is right now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's seated on the throne in heaven. A kingdom has citizens or subjects, right? those who are underneath the authority of the king. A kingdom has boundaries and territory. So a kingdom is just not this indefinite place or piece of land, but, but a kingdom has definite boundaries and territories. A kingdom always has an army, and a kingdom always has an enemy. And see, guys, that's exactly what we're going to get into today is we're going to, we're going to go back and really kind of look at the 30,000-foot view as you fly on an airplane and you get up above the clouds and you look down and you can just kind of see the land from a 30,000-foot view. I mean, everything seems so small, and you kind of see the big what? The big picture. And that's what I want to do with you this morning. I want to help you see the big picture of the kingdom and how it applies to you and me today, and hopefully give us something to, to hold on to as we wrap up this book of Acts, this wonderful study, and we go out into the world as we just saying, Holy Spirit, fill us with power. Give us this, this supernatural love for the world as we go and we're sent out by the Holy Spirit. And so I wanted to share with you just some realities of the kingdom this morning, and I'm going to try to be as uh, succinct as I can be, and I don't want to get too far in depth, but there are some big realities that we can't overlook when we're talking about the kingdom of God this morning. And so the first reality I want to share with you is that the kingdom was established by God and entrusted to Adam. If you want to have a, a full grasp and a theological a robust theological understanding of the kingdom of God, you have to go back to the beginning. 
Because if you think about it, in, in one of the you know, implied roles that Adam had from the very beginning was that God called Adam to be a king. Did you realize that? God really called Adam to be king over the earth in a sense. In other words, I'm participating with God. I have a, a God is the king in heaven. As it says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he founded upon the seas, he established it upon the rivers. Who is this king of glory? It is the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. So we understand that God ultimately is king. That's one of his titles. That's one of his attributes is him being ruler and sovereign Lord and king over the universe. But one of the miracles of creation is God said, I'm going to make a man in my own image and I want him to participate with me in the kingdom. I want him to be a ruler on earth just as I am in heaven. And you see that in the book of in the book of Genesis, you know, I'll just share with you briefly because you know in the very first chapter of Genesis where we see God made man in his own image, look at what it says. Genesis 1:26 it says it says let us make man in our image in our likeness and let him have excuse me let them have dominion over the fish and the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And if you read a little bit further in verse 28, it says, And God blessed them, having made them in his own image. God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. That's kingdom terminology. Adam was meant to have dominion over the earth. And so that's where the kingdom really was established and it was entrusted to God. As it says in Psalm chapter 8, listen to this. It says, you have made man a little lower than the heavenly beings or than the angels. Listen, it says, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put everything under his feet. See, that was God's design from the very beginning. And we know that there is a direct correlation because you see it's no mistake that Jesus is called the second Adam. And, and Paul touches on this, and I just want to share it with you. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is a fascinating chapter, but listen to what Paul says. He, he draws this connection and this correlation between Adam, the first man, and Jesus, the man from above. Look at what he says. Just as we are born, excuse me, just as we have born the image of the man of dust. Look, we're made physical beings. We, we bear the image of Adam. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Now listen to what he says. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. There is a direct connection for us understanding that we are really one of two people in this room. We are either in Adam or we are in Christ. Now, I want you to think about that. Today, I can say this definitively without any reservation. You in this room, you are either still in Adam. You're still in your sinful nature. Your, your body is still in a state of corruption. Your spirit is still in a state of separation from God. That's what it means to be in Adam. And this is what the Bible says, that left in and of ourselves, if we remain to be in the identity of Adam, it says flesh and blood cannot inherit the what? The kingdom. You can't inherit the kingdom based on the fact that if you're still in Adam. Amen. It's impossible. 
That's why the Bible calls us to be in who? Be in Christ. In other words, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, came to give us the kingdom back. We're going to get into that in just a second. But today, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And the only way we will inherit the kingdom is if we have been given new life in Jesus Christ. And our bodies one day will be raised incorruptible. You know what God is preparing us to to inherit? The kingdom. But the kingdom was first given to Adam and we needed somebody to take it back. And we're going to see that the reason why is because the kingdom was relinquished to Satan. When you see what's happening there in Genesis chapter 3... And I want to make this as simple as I possibly can. I'm not getting into, you know, Eve obviously was tempted. She was deceived. But, but the Bible holds who responsible? Adam is held responsible. Why? Because God gave the commandment to Adam. God said, you're to be the protector and provider. Remember, you're to be the king, the spiritual leader of your family, of this place, of the garden, of your, over your wife. You're to be the one who protects your wife and guards your family. And Adam, listen, when, when, the, when the tempter, when Satan came in this beautiful form, he came and deceived the woman. What the scripture implies is that Adam was what? Right there with her because as soon as she took and ate and disobeyed God, she turned around and gave it to her husband. Now, he had a choice to make. She may have been deceived. He knew it was wrong, and yet he still what? He still disobeyed willingly. So what happened there, we, don't, we, we underestimate what happened in the, in the garden because Satan, listen, Satan is one of God's, he was one of God's cherubim. He was one of God's guardian angels in the throne, in the very presence of God. He was one of the most beautiful and intelligent of creatures that God had ever made and he had pride. It said wickedness was found in him. And all of a sudden he believed, hey, you know what? I might can be like that. I might can be greater than the king. Maybe I need my own kingdom. And so Satan, in, in rebelling against God and his authority and his, and his rule and his sovereign kingship, Satan was cast out of the presence of God. So now he comes to destroy and disrupt everything that God's trying to do on the earth. And unfortunately, our first father, Adam and Eve, our first parents, they, they completely relinquished the kingdom over to Satan. They basically, because of their disobedience, listen, this is what Adam did. He said, God, I reject you as my king. Because a person who subjects himself to the king obeys the king's commands. Adam disobeyed the king's command, and in doing so, he listened to another voice. And in doing so, he lost dominion. He lost authority on the earth. And from that point on, guys, this world has been under the power of the evil one. I mean, think about all the different names that we have for Satan. He's called, he was called the morning star, as we see him in his state before the fall. But then he's called Satan, which means he's the adversary. He is the arch enemy of God and his people. He's called the devil, the ancient serpent, the deceiver of the nations. He's called the prince of demons, the ruler of this world. He's called the god of this age. He says, the Bible says in 1 John, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Now, that's why when you pick up your Bible and you read about the temptation of Jesus, one of the temptations of Jesus was that Satan took him up on a high mountain and he showed him what? All the kingdoms. I don't know what that was like. He may have showed him all the beautiful glory of every kingdom that's ever existed on the face of the earth from Babylon to Egypt to China to India to the United States of America and everything in between. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world. 
And he said, listen, all you've got to do is just bow down and worship me. Let me be your king and I'll give you what? All the kingdoms of the world. Now, how could Satan give Jesus all the kingdoms of the world if he didn't have them? You see, he has control. He has authority. What man did in the garden was so tragic because we who were designed to be participants in God's kingdom and to rule and to reign alongside with God and work and co-create with him on this earth and reflect his glory and his image to the rest of the world, we lost that and Satan took it from us and he's been working his works of evil ever since. And guys, that's part of the big reason why the world is in such a mess that it is. Because this is the kingdom of Satan. He's the God of this world. He's the prince of this world. He's the God of this age. He's the ruler. That's what Jesus called him, the prince, the ruler of this world. The systems of this world are operated and influenced under the satanic forces of evil. That's tragic. And then you see, after the flood, man begins to multiply on the face of the earth again. They were supposed to again, God gives Noah and his sons the same commandment, right? You go and be fruitful and multiply and go represent me all over the earth. Remember, they're supposed to go out and subdue the earth and have dominion. Once again, again, God tried to start over after the flood, but what does he find men doing right there at the Tower of Babel? Nope, let's concentrate all the evil. Let's concentrate all the wickedness. Let's concentrate all the human power and ingenuity and glory that we can in one place so that we can make a name for ourselves. In other words, let's create our own kingdom under this king named Nimrod. And what happened? God said, okay, obviously this isn't going the way that it should, so I'm going to put a pause on your attempt to destroy the earth again. And so he confused their languages and he sent them out, scattered them all over the face of the planet. Now think about this. Initially and immediately after the flood and after the, the confusing of the languages in the Tower of Babel episode, we look back throughout history and what happens immediately after that, every other kingdom on the face of the earth begins to emerge. Ancient China, ancient India ancient uh, civilizations in, in the Americas, North and South America, Babylon, Egypt, Assyria, all of these pagan nations and kingdoms began to emerge on the face of the earth. And now listen, here's what's so tragic about that. They're not underneath the authority of the king under the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not. They're underneath the authority of the principalities and powers and spiritual forces of darkness. That's why they're all pagan, wicked nations. Amen. But here's the good news. At the very same time that happened, what happens right after the Tower of Babel? Genesis 12, God goes and finds another man. What's his name? Abraham. And think about what he told Abraham. He said, I'm going to take this man for myself, and I'm going to create a what? A nation, a kingdom through him. And when he blessed Abraham in Genesis chapter 12... What the most central inherent blessing through the promise and the covenant that God made with Abraham was this. He said, and through you and your offspring, Abraham, all the what? All the nations of the earth will be blessed. So don't miss that. That's the participation. That's the plan of God reclaiming all the nations, all the kingdoms of the world through his people. And that's why the third reality is that the kingdom was foreshadowed through Israel. That's what God was doing through Israel. 
He took Abraham, he covenanted, he made a covenant with Abraham, he gave him a son, Isaac. Isaac was the son of promise who had a son, Jacob. God chose Jacob, even though he was the younger brother, he chose him anyway. Jacob became the father of 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. God changed his name to Israel, and all of a sudden now you have a new people, a new kingdom. They had to go down into one of these wicked nations, Egypt, because of a famine, but it was in the midst of their bondage and oppression in Egypt that they grew into a great what? A great nation. And look at what God promised them. As he brings them out of Egypt, he leads them to the base of Mount Sinai. And don't make any mistake about it, what he says in Exodus chapter 19. If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus 19. Look at what the Lord says to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Exodus chapter 19. Look at verse 5. Exodus 19.5, Now therefore, the Lord is speaking. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a what? A kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Don't miss that. You see, the theme of kingdom runs throughout the entire Bible. And what Israel's purpose in this world was to be, listen, God revealed himself to Israel. God revealed his word to Israel. Israel was to be a light unto the nations and the Gentiles. Israel was to be a peculiar people. Listen, Israel was supposed to look different. They were not supposed to look like all the nations around them. God said, you're my covenant people. I've called you out of Egypt. I've placed you in your land. Again, he gave them a land the promised land. And he said, you're to be my people. I'm going to be your God. We're going to represent to the whole world who I am through you because this is a foreshadowing of the what? Of the kingdom to come. Now, did Israel get it right all the time? No, they they, they pretty much marred it and messed it up most of the time. Nonetheless, it still was a picture. It still was a shadow of what God wants to do and intended to do through the kingdom. And ultimately, we know the greatest purpose of Israel was that God had chosen them as a people, an ethnic group of people through which who would come? Messiah. His name is Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. And that's why Israel is so very important because, yes, they foreshadowed the kingdom to come. However, God was preparing for himself a people through which the Savior of the world, in other words, he was preparing for himself a people through which the king would be born. Not just a king like David, who was a great king. Nonetheless, he was a man who failed and died, but yet Jesus, the king of kings, would be born. That's what Israel's all about. But he didn't stop there. The fourth reality is that In Jesus, on that fateful first Christmas night, the kingdom was realized. The kingdom was realized and redeemed by this person, by this precious baby, this this child, this infant child, the Son of God, the Son of Man, Christ the Lord, born into the world as a what? As a king. Think about what the angel told Mary, listen to this in Luke 1. Mary, don't be afraid. 
He said, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. See, we're talking about a kingdom and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is a little baby. And the angel reminds Mary, what's born to you this day is Christ the Lord. He is king. And of course, we know a little bit later, the Magi from the east come because they were paying attention to the stars. They were paying attention to the prophetic word that they probably had learned through Daniel and some of the other prophets who were in exile in Babylon. They were paying attention to the Old Testament scriptures and they knew when they came to Herod, what did they ask? Hey, will you tell us where the king has been born, the king of Israel? And so they come offering and bearing gifts and bow down and worship a baby. Because at that moment, the kingdom had come in the flesh. God with us. One of my favorite names for for Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And so we see that the kingdom was realized. And when we see Jesus, as he begins his earthly ministry, he goes again into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan and he denies this, this false kingdom that Satan wants to give him. You know, he said, you should not tempt the Lord your God. You should worship the Lord your God only. And he, and he fights the temptation with scripture and he comes back out of the wilderness. And the first thing that Jesus says in his earthly ministry from the gospel of Mark is this. He comes out of his temptation. His public ministry has just begun. And these are the first words that we record that Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel because the kingdom of God is near. You see, Jesus came preaching the what? The kingdom. It was realized in Jesus. He redeemed. He began this this process. And that's really what I want you guys to see is that Jesus came to reclaim the kingdom by redeeming the nations as a people for his own possessions. Now, this is significant. There's so many different things that you could see that are tied in here. But if you, if you look at the end of the book of Acts 28 again, if you, if, you, if you go back there to Acts 28, I'm going to read this again to you because, again, Paul is the, is the apostle unto the Gentiles. And, and he had a very difficult time with his own people. The Jews hated Paul in many ways, and they attacked him and persecuted him everywhere that he went. And therefore, God said, listen, Paul, I'm releasing you to go and to preach the gospel to the nations. And guys, there's a significance to that. It it goes back to Adam. It goes back to Abraham and the promise that all nations of the earth will be blessed. It goes back to Israel. How Israel was to be a light unto the what? Unto the nations. It goes back to Jesus who came preaching the gospel and the kingdom of God. And listen to what it says in Acts 28, 28. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. And they will listen. Now, what is that all about? Well, on the day of Pentecost, you see, the the gospel is first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. And on the day of Pentecost, all the Jews had gathered. It's one of the three feasts of Israel that all the males are required to come to Jerusalem to worship. So Jerusalem is slam-packed with hundreds of thousands of people. And the disciples are there on the day of Pentecost. And again, we know the story. We're going to get into that in just a second. But the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. They begin speaking in these other languages because, listen, all of these Jews had come from the, from the diaspora, the spreading out. They had been cast out into all these other nations. Now they come to Jerusalem. They hear the gospel in their own 
language, and that day, 3,000 are what? Saved. And by the way, what a blessing we get to share the, the, the gospel with the Tapawan people. Today, they're having that dedication. It just gets to be so excited, guys, that the, those, those Indians in Mexico who've never heard the gospel in their own language, at least they've never been able to read the gospel in their own language, today they're getting Bibles for the very first time to be able to hear the good news of Jesus Christ in their own language. This is amazing, but that's what's happening on the day of Pentecost. Now listen, don't miss this. All these people come to Jerusalem. They hear the gospel. When Pentecost is over, where do they go? They go back to the other nations. Who do they start telling people about? Jesus. So at the very beginning, after the death, burial, and resurrection, at the giving of the Holy Spirit, and these nations scatter back to their, these Jews who believe scatter, going back to all these other nations, they start telling other people about this Jesus who had been resurrected from the dead, who had come to offer salvation and set us free from bondage and all the good news of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is the beginning of Jesus starting to reclaim all the nations Back into his what? Into his kingdom. That's what's happening here. That's what's happening on the day of Pentecost. And it's interesting because after Jesus is resurrected, the disciples come to him and listen to the question they ask him in Acts chapter 1. Listen to this. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now they have something very specific in their mind. What they have in their mind is this. They're looking for Messiah to come, and they knew Jesus was Messiah. And they knew that Messiah in the Old Testament was the one who was to come and destroy all the enemies of Israel. He was the one that was to come and sit on the throne of David to rule from Jerusalem and reestablish the kingdom of Israel on the earth. That's who they were looking for. And they're not wrong in what they're looking for because we're still looking for the same Messiah because he has not yet come the what? The second time, that's what Jesus does in his second coming. He's going to do all that. We'll see that in just a minute. But look at how Jesus responds to them. He said, listen, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, so he said, don't don't worry about the coming kingdom, the physical kingdom of Israel. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the very same kingdom that Jesus came preaching, the very same kingdom that was realized in the very person of God, Emmanuel, God with us, the very same kingdom that that was spread throughout the Jews on the day of Pentecost and and began to spread throughout the early New Testament church as we see Paul and his mission and his ministry to the Gentiles. Guys, listen to me. That kingdom continues to this very day. That's why we say the title of this entire series has been Your Kingdom Come, The Great Commission Continues. We are Gentiles. I'd say the overwhelming majority of us in here today, there may be some with with Jewish ethnicity, the overwhelming majority of us in this room today, we're sitting in Bartlett, Tennessee, y'all. I mean, think about how far removed this is from Jerusalem. Think about how far removed this is from the Mediterranean Sea where the early church really emphasized its its, its first missionary movement. 
We're in Bartlett, Tennessee, 2,000 years later, and we're participants in the kingdom of God because we have come to know the the Savior of the Jews, Jesus. We've come to understand who God is and how he's provided a means to salvation. He has included us into his kingdom, and now we have the privilege to participate in the kingdom of God, and it continues to this day. Now, this is where I shared this in our Sunday school class. This morning, a little bit, and I want to share it with you today. So there's something we need to understand about, about the kingdom. In one sense, the kingdom is already here. Okay? Because Jesus lives where? He lives inside of us. So everywhere we go, the king goes. Every place that we step, Jesus is with us. And so in, in that sense, the kingdom, yes, is already here and God is working throughout his people to share the good news and to bring people into so every person that's born again every person that hears the good news today and believes in Jesus and trusts in him they are included that very moment in the what in the kingdom so the kingdom is already here but the kingdom is not yet cuz we live in the United States of America Last time I checked, if you see what's going on in Washington right now, this ain't the kingdom. Right? I mean, think about what all the people in Hong Kong are going through right now with all the right. I mean, Venezuela is coming unleashed. Colombia right now is going unleashed. Iran, there's riots in Iran. right? The whole world is losing its mind, y'all. All over the world. This is not the kingdom, right? You understand that. So it's not, we're still waiting something for something more. We're still waiting for the actual physical appearance and coming of Jesus Christ to come on the earth, to set his feet on the ground and to rule and reign as king and establish his kingdom once again. So we have to understand. This is the way I'd like for you to, to understand it. It's like, kind of like Jesus is on a rescue mission. And like when, when we were lost, we were like POWs. We were like prisoners of war. And we're locked up in in the enemy territory. There's no way we can get out. Jesus is on a rescue mission to come and get us out, right? He wants to come redeem us. He wants to come and save us. But listen, it's kind of like this. When Jesus saves us, it's like a a rescue mission. You go in, you save your your soldiers, and you get them out of the prisoner, uh, out of prison as a POW, and you get them safely to to the base, to the camp. But you're still a long way from what? From home. Now, you're with your people, you're safe and secure, you're back with your allies, you're back with your family, you're back with your unit, you've been set free. But you're still a long way from home. There's nothing like getting back home. And guys, listen, we were made for heaven, for the kingdom. This is not our home. So we've been set free. We've been redeemed. We, we, Jesus has come and rescued us out of prison, but we're not yet home. And that's what all of us struggle with. I think that's what all of us feel as believers right now in this world. And so that's part of what we understand as the kingdom continues through us this day. Let me move on. Reality number six. The kingdom has been transferred to God's children. We're called joint heirs with Christ. Okay, this comes from Colossians 1, where it says that God has transferred us from the domain, from the kingdom of darkness. He's he's redeemed us from the kingdom of darkness, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And he did this through redemption and the forgiveness of our sin. That's what Colossians 1 says. Now, let me tell you what that really means, guys. And this is something we all need to understand. We are 
joint heirs with Jesus. Okay? If you've ever dealt with any type of estate, you know that there has to be a living what? A living will. When we come to faith in Jesus, effectively, immediately, we are then written in to his what? His living will and testament. And you know what he tells his children? Um, I'm going to leave all of it to them. It's all theirs. Think about that for just a second. Now, who has the authority for the kingdom? Who, who, who owns everything? He does. Jesus is the one who, will, who has indeed realized the kingdom. He has inherited everything from God the Father. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And yet he says, every single child of God who comes and puts their faith and trust in me, they all of a sudden are adopted into my family and I've written them into my living will and testament and it's all theirs. Think about that. Isn't it wonderful for us to know that there's not going to be any fighting over the estate in heaven? Thank God, right? I mean, why is it that every family just shows its worst face whenever you start talking about grandmama's mon- money or something? I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but I know it's real, right? I mean, sometimes you see families, they will not talk for years because they felt like they were cheated out of something in the estate or something in the will. You know what I'm saying? That's not how it's going to be in heaven. Because what's mine is going to be yours, and what's yours is going to be mine, and it actually is all going to belong to God anyway, and we don't care. It's a beautiful thing for us to understand. I mean, listen to what it says. Let me, tell, let me share this in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel sees a vision of the king, his dominion, his kingdom. This is something that's yet future. He says, the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Listen to what he says. Then the sovereign dominion, excuse me, sovereignty, dominion, and greatness of the kingdoms under all of heaven will be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will serve and obey him. Did you catch that? The kingdom will be given to the saints, to you and me, to believers in Jesus. Because we've been written into his will. Reality number seven. Bless you. The king will return. The king will repay. The king will reward, and that's what I just got finished telling you about, that we receive the kingdom, we inherit the kingdom, and the king will rule. Now listen to what it says in Matthew 25. I'll just read a part of this to you. Matthew 25 says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne, and before Him will be gathered all the nations. See, guys, it's all connected. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Listen to what he says. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The first thing that Jesus will do when he returns is that he's going to bring judgment. He's going to bring recompense, if you want to use a good Old Testament word. He's going to repay. He's going to pour out what the Bible says, the righteous indignation 
of God Almighty. He will pour out His wrath upon all of His enemies, upon the enemies of God's people, upon all that have rejected Him, upon all who have you know, spit in His face and, and refused to submit to His authority. Jesus is coming, guys. It's a reality. That's why the day of the Lord is a great and a terrible day. It's a great day for those who love Him. It's going to be a terrible day for those who hate and reject Him. But that's part of the kingdom. Number two, He will reward. That's when we will receive our reward according to what we have done in this life. And that's also, that will determine how much responsibility we get in the kingdom. You understand that, right? Like whatever you do in this life will determine what responsibility that you get in the kingdom. What we do in this this life matters. It matters. And then he will rule. He will take his seat in Jerusalem on the throne of what it says of his father David because Jesus is a descendant of David as he had to be. You know, Jesus was of royal descent. Don't, that's why those genealogies are in Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 3. Why? Because Jesus was of royal descent in Mary and also in Joseph's line. He was a descendant of King David. He couldn't have the throne otherwise. You had to be of royal descent. So anyway, Jesus is coming. The king is coming. That's part of our gospel message. And this, here's your last reality, guys, and we're going to wrap this thing up. The kingdom will be restored on earth. I want you to get your I want you to get wrap your mind. I want you to get a, a very, very sound picture of what the kingdom of God will be, guys. Listen, the kingdom of God is not gonna be us floating on some clouds in heaven playing kumbaya for ten thousand years. That's not heaven. Okay? The kingdom is where heaven comes down. Jesus brings heaven here and he restores and makes everything new. It's it's called the regeneration of all of creation. Everything will be restored, renewed, even better than it was in the original, which is hard to believe. And the kingdom will be here and it will be fantastic. It will be amazing. It will be beautiful. The earth will be exactly as God intended it to be. We will see beauty and restoration like like things that we've never seen before. There will be no more sickness or sin or sorrow or suffering or death. God's going to eliminate all of that. And we will live with him here on the earth and worship him forever and tell stories about how good God is and sing songs to him and help him restore the earth and build and and create. Who knows what we're going to be able to create? I mean, mind has not yet what? Conceived. Eye has not seen nor ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. This is something that I can imagine some amazing things in the kingdom. And the Bible says I haven't even scratched the surface Guys, it's it's a physical kingdom on the earth. Jesus in his resurrected body, he could give you a hug. Think about that. He could eat and drink. It's a physical kingdom and yet it will be an eternal everlasting kingdom that God will create for us and it will be more amazing than we could ever imagine. I'm going to ask our praise team our choir, if they would, go ahead and make their way up. And here's how I want to finish this, this message. When the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. The disciples asked Jesus, 
Teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, let's say it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's why he taught us how to pray. It's because every day of our life we should pray, God, I want your kingdom to come in my heart, in my home, in my marriage, in my family, in this church, in my school, in the workplace, everywhere that I go. I want to represent the king and I want your kingdom to come and I want your will to be done right here on earth just as it is in heaven. And even though we know that the kingdom is already here but not yet, we still strive every single day to bring the kingdom of God everywhere that we go. That's what, that's what the book of Acts is all about. Amen. Now, if you're here today and you don't even know if you belong in that kingdom, if you're here today and you don't know if you're still in Adam and your sins have not been forgiven, maybe today's the day that you, guess what? You can join and participate and be included in God's kingdom right now. Don't let this chance pass you by. I'll be here. I see my brother Dean here. He's a great counselor. I got Terry up front. We got Mr. Jim Cole over here. We got people all around. If you just want to grab us and talk to us, we'll pray with you. We'll counsel with you. Whatever it is that you need, just make sure that you deal with it right now before you go back out into this crazy, busy world. Okay? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you that you taught us how to pray, knowing, Lord, that we would need you every single day. And then knowing, Lord, that without you, we, we would be able to do nothing. And yet knowing that you have made us a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. We have been included in your kingdom and we participate as your citizens of heaven, living in this world but not of it. And Lord, until the day that you return, help us to to continue to pray and continue to live our lives in such a way that the kingdom would come through us to others and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. And all God's people say it.